How has the Brisbane property market changed in the wake of COVID? Can we now count it as one of the big guns alongside Sydney and Melbourne? Or is the recent boom set to be short-lived? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Award. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. We're joined this week by Brisbane Buyers Agent and Reba Queensland Representative Melinda Jennison. Melinda leads Streamline Property Buyers and is possibly the only buyers agent with a PhD, which means she brings a research lens to strategy development and advice. And we're looking forward to that sort of research lens when we're talking about what's been happening in the Brisbane property market, what makes it tick, and what potentially could be expected for 2023. So thanks so much for joining us, Melinda. We're really looking forward to this chat. Thanks for having me, Veronica and Chris. It's great to be here, and I'm excited also to share some intel with you. Absolutely. I think it's um, quite topical to you know get a bit of the Queensland lens right now. It's um. You know, crazy what happened there in 2020 and 2021. And, um, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people who are living in Sydney and Melbourne, unless you sort of had friends up there, et cetera, the craziness in terms of prices, it was a much bigger boom, I think, than, than Sydney, Melbourne, if you, you know, you look at, it. so it'd be good just to talk through what, like what happened up there in, in 2020, 2021, and just sort of the craziness in the markets and how that's really shifted in 2022. Just a bit of a story there would be, would be awesome to start us off. Well, I think like um, every market around Australia, when COVID first hit, there was so much uncertainty and fear. Um, and I think a lot of buyers really just sat on the sidelines. I know it was the first time in a long time that sales agents were ringing us daily asking if we still had buyers uh, because I think also sellers were so nervous about, you know, could they even bring people into their home? So there was definitely... Uh, two or three months of what I would call stagnant activity. Everything just um, fell away. Sellers did not want to sell. They didn't want people through their homes. Buyers really didn't want to consider purchasing property because headlines at that point were saying that we were yep. going to be, um, you know, falling 40% in value. Now, once the fear subsided, I think that, you know, buyers saw um, potentially some opportunity to re-engage with the market. Um, sellers were happy again to um, open their homes under, you know, strict rules, of course. Um, and we saw this huge buyer surge. Now, I think, you know, no one can explain why that happened. But, you know, in Brisbane, we really saw those buyers um, trickle back in between August and about October in 2020. And once the news became more positive around COVID, of course, we had fewer lockdowns in Brisbane than the other states of Sydney and, sorry, the other capitals of Sydney and Melbourne, people became far less fearful. And then I think they were really motivated to make those life changes off the back of COVID. Um, and we just saw this huge surge in buyer activity, um, a market that we probably will never see again. Uh, we had low listing volumes throughout that recovery period, throughout that boom period. Um, and yet we had this huge depth of buyers. So for any property that was listed for sale, you know, especially any quality properties, it was not unheard of to have 15 or 20 buyers on an individual property. It's, it was outrageous. So 
of course, in Brisbane, not being an auction capital city as such, we actually had a lot of those properties transacting by private treaty sale. And what that meant is that it became a multiple offer process, which is an awful way to buy a property. Um, it's basically blind bidding. You get one go to put a best and final offer in, and then that's your walkaway price. So, you know, because of that, I think buyers had a lot of FOMO. They did not want to miss mm. out. Um, and especially when they were home buyers, um, they became emotionally connected. Um, interest rates were, of course, extremely low. So borrowing capacity was increased and people really were paying top dollar just to actually transact in, in the market. Um, now, of course, you know, the thing that slowed Brisbane down was the flood event in February. That was the first big transition period. Um, you know, that really put a handbrake on the buyer sentiment. Following that, we also had the federal election, which we all know, you know, can actually influence buyer behaviour. And of course, we've now had several months of interest rate hikes, which has all had an impact on that buyer sentiment. So the market has definitely slowed down. We don't have that FOMO from buyers anymore, uh, but we are still in a low listing environment in Brisbane. And I think that's what's actually caused prices, you know, not to fall away um, too much. We've definitely had some median price falls. Uh, but again, that's not actually across the board, you know, when we consider, uh, you know, quality properties versus, uh, you know, or rather we consider what's actually selling as opposed to, you know, every property losing value. So it's been an interesting period. Yeah, your story there is actually, I could say the same thing about Sydney, the same thing about Melbourne, right? That That is actually the pretty much exactly the same story except for the flood, of course, although now there's been floods in Sydney and Melbourne as well. Um, but this isn't what's different about Brisbane, I think, and what you haven't touched on yet, and I'm hoping you will, is really the migration of buyers from Sydney and Melbourne in particular, but also I think expats coming back to Brisbane who potentially may not have, if they were going to return to, to Australia had it not been from COVID, may not have gone to Brisbane perhaps. So I think that that has brought a new, I guess, a flush of different type of buyers with, with potentially higher budgets. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to get some insights into into that story as well. Yeah, look, I think throughout a lot of COVID with the state border closures, um, we didn't see as many interstate buyers transacting unless they were investors. But as soon as those borders reopened, we saw a huge influx of those that were relocating mm. interstate. Um, of course, some of those interstate um, migrants had already purchased um, prior to, you know, those borders opening, mm. had made the decision to relocate prior. But the huge influx really happened when borders reopened. Um, Queensland's had a huge spike in interstate migration. In fact, we're back to our record highs in terms of the volume of people um, entering um, Queensland. And most of those interstate migrants land somewhere in southeast Queensland. So that's usually the area from the Sunshine Coast which is about one hour north of Brisbane, right down through to the Gold Coast, about one hour south of Brisbane. So as the capital city, um, most of the migrants land in or around, um, you know, one hour north or south of, of yeah. where we are located. Of course, now that the international borders have also reopened, we've seen um, a surge in expats returning home. Through our own inquiry, we've had a number of expats purchasing those properties so that they've actually got their home to move back into when they relocate. And a lot of them, because of COVID, purchased with the intent to rent those properties out for, um, so that they're available for when they actually, you know, return home. So buyers have been coming from everywhere, but I will also say that that 
with the borders reopening, that's put a lot of pressure on the rental market as well, which is something that we can discuss in the podcast because we've got a situation where we've got too many people really relocating to southeast Queensland and not enough properties available to yep. to especially to rent, but also in some instances to buy. And that's what really drove a lot of that price growth through um, the peak of the market throughout the latter parts of 2021. Yeah. I mean, we've got a friend actually um, moving to Brisbane like next month and, you know, they've got to, they live on the beaches and we we're having dinner with them the other week and the five o'clock dinner as you do with two young kids. Um, and, um, <laughs> yeah, they were talking about the rental crisis. They're like, we're trying to get a place and we've put an application. We're not looking at them. We're just paying way overs. And it was just like, yeah, like, and it's so difficult. They they need to rent something before they move there, but then they can't rent something because they're in Sydney and there's, you know, the locals are actually rocking up and putting a bit of pressure on agents. Um, so I'm like, you've got to get like a rental buyer's agent, you know, almost to, to help you secure it because you need that sort of, uh, feed on the ground. I think it's a real problem. Um, you know, you, you might get a great job opportunity, but if you can't rent something, you know, how, how do you actually move there? From the growth point of view though, like we had lots of clients buy in Brisbane, you know, probably 700 was like the low end, you know, usually 700 up to say a mil. And most of those properties went up, like we're talking, you know, Inner Ring, the Bardens, the Balmorals, Graceville, um, Woolongabba, um, yeah, a little bit more. So Ascot, you know, when it's more closer to that mill. They all went up probably 70 to 90% in the space of under two years. Like it was a huge growth. Like the 700 went to 1.3, the one went to 1.8, like massive growth. Like, and that's not, we didn't see that in Sydney and Melbourne. Like that's velocity. Is that sort of true with your, you know, those inner ring sort of family suitable sort of bigger blocks, um, went up that much and, and how are they coping you know, with the reduction in borrowing capacity and higher rates, are these properties giving back a lot of that growth or are you finding they're really holding value because of low listings? Look, uh, if we look at, you know, what's happened across all of Greater Brisbane since the start of COVID, our property values at a median level have increased 42.7% from the lowest point prior to COVID all the way through to the peak. Um, now, that's the housing market. Um, the unit market was a little bit weaker. That went 20.6% um, across the same period. And now just in the last few months, we've come back 9.6% in the housing market and 1.7% in the unit market. So overall growth in the housing market up 33% across all of Greater Brisbane. And in the unit market, we're up 28.9% across all of Greater Brisbane. That was through to the end of October 2022. What you've highlighted there, Chris, is what's happened more um, specifically at a suburb level. And we definitely observed some very strong price growth in certain uh, pockets throughout Brisbane throughout that same period. Of course, median value data in, Bris in Brisbane, um, according to CoreLogic, captures over 15,000 square kilometres of geographical location. It's everything in southeast Queensland that's transacting outside of the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. So it's a huge, huge space. And you cannot say what's happening in Ascot and Balmoral and Balimba, you know, and um, Barden is the same as what's happening, you know, in some suburbs that might be west of Ipswich or south of Logan or, you know, north of um, Caboolture. It's just not the same market. There's markets within markets. So, of course, we observed something similar. Um, and, of course, off the back of very low interest rates, affordability um, skyrocketed for people that were on high incomes and yeah. they were able to borrow much more than what, you know, they can 
borrow now as interest rates are increasing. So a lot of those people took that opportunity to get into the market to upgrade their homes. And of course, the boom was driven predominantly by home buyers, yeah. not by investors. So we saw this huge surge in home buyer activity. So a lot of people did upgrade into what we would consider some of the more blue chip locations across Brisbane. The second part of your question was, you know, has there been any change now that interest rates have started to um, increase? And of course, that results in a decreased borrowing capacity. And so perhaps what people could afford to borrow or could afford to buy, you know, eight months ago is very different to what they can afford to buy today. What we're observing is that quality listings in some of the locations that you've identified, that what we would consider blue chip locations, they're just not becoming available. Uh. So when they do become available, um, you know, the demand is still high enough for those properties that we're really not seeing a huge discount. Um, you know, there's no bargains in Brisbane, you know, in, in those blue chip locations. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. They'll look at a median value trend and assume that every property that, that might have transacted eight months ago is now worth, you know, um, 9% yeah. less if it's a house or whatever, but that's just not the case. And I think a lot of our time is spent educating buyers around true market conditions. It comes down to the demand and the supply for the specific product type. And that ultimately determines whether there's an opportunity to even negotiate or whether you're going to be competing against multiple other buyers in an auction. Um, and therefore market value is what a buyer is prepared to pay and also what a seller is prepared to let a property go for. And the last point I'll make around that is that a lot of the locations that are blue chip locations are also the areas where we've got a concentration of much higher income earners here in Brisbane. So of course, rising interest rates don't impact all property buyers and property owners in the same way. Yep. Um, people that are on much higher incomes can actually absorb more of that cost. Um, they're typically also suburbs that are dominated by owner occupiers, not investors. So owner occupiers, of course, don't um, up and sell their home at the first sign of distress. They'll cut their discretionary spend or perhaps they'll um, yep. not go to Europe this year. Instead, they'll go to Hamilton Island or or something that's a little cheaper. But, you know, ultimately, this is the shift we're seeing. Um, and we're certainly not seeing any forced selling um, yep. across any areas of Brisbane at this time. So those areas that you're talking about that have had those, you know, huge growth rates um, yep. are those inner areas. And you could argue yep. that, that maybe they were a bit undervalued in the first place and maybe they sort of slightly overshot the bar. But it sounds like that they they haven't sort of gone racing ahead and, and, and become disproportionate in their pricing. So it's just like a, a leveling effect, I guess. But it's so interesting hearing you, you talk, Melinda, because it's like, I almost feel like yawning. Oh, this is so boring. We just say the same thing over and over again on this podcast because it's, this is what we're talking about, the fundamentals of a market. And we're talking about the fact that in Brisbane, the same things were playing out there that do play out in Sydney and Melbourne. So all of a sudden, I think maybe it is becoming a big grown-up city, not the regional town anymore. Yeah, for sure. Because one of the things that has traditionally capped the Brisbane market is, at that upper end in particular has been that sort of lack of the high-paying jobs. But I guess with remote work, you know, I'm wondering whether that is – is to be seen as more of a permanent uh, shift in Brisbane, that cap has been taken away. I mean, is that what you're observing? Or is there a bit of a U-turn back to Sydney and Melbourne for some of those higher paying, or even overseas for that matter, um, now that lockdowns are a thing of the past and, and people can go back to their higher paying jobs in the head offices of, of some of our major corporations? Yeah, it's a really interesting um, question because, you know, I think that there was a real shift to work from home. A lot of people took that opportunity to relocate to where they wanted to live, assuming that, you know, we'd be working from home for 
a lot longer. But the reality is that a lot of big businesses are, you know, asking people to come back into offices. Um, look, anecdotally, we have not observed a lot of people relocating to Brisbane that are looking to to turn around and go back to the big cities of Sydney and Melbourne. However, through conversations with colleagues and peers, um, some that perhaps have relocated to coastal areas such as the Sunshine Coast or the Gold Coast, um, we have heard that there has been a shift back to some of the capital city markets yep. simply because of that requirement for their employers to to have them back into the office. Um, you know, even Brisbane, commuting from Brisbane to Sydney for um, a one-day event, you, you jump on a plane, you're there within an hour. Um, you and know, how? it's actually not. <laughs> has it changed? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, well, by the time you actually get to the airport, it's probably a, a two to two and a half hour round yeah. trip from door to door, wherever you need to be. The plane trip itself is an hour, but yes, with wait times and boarding times and, and perhaps we should factor in delays. But a lot of people <laughs> are prepared to do that if they don't ever... Uh, if they're only required in the office two or three days a week, but let's not forget the um, the huge um, economic and and infrastructure development that is happening here throughout southeast Queensland, and with a lot of that is coming a lot more uh, job opportunities, and you know a lot of those jobs will be those high paying jobs. So yeah. the the opportunities for um, career advancement in locations throughout southeast Queensland is continuing to increase as our city does grow up. Um, and I think that a lot of people have always assumed that Brisbane is a little, you know, country town. And we certainly have been, you know, known for that. But, you know, with our population projections um, and also the accessibility to other nations around the world, especially with the opening of our second runway at our uh, international airport, we're actually uh, becoming a place on the map um, as a city and, you know, there's a lot going on in Brisbane and I think when we look back 10 years from now and consider what Brisbane will be like 10 years into the future, um, I think we'll be talking about a very different cap capital city market. Well, I mean, you do have the benefit of the big rings coming to the um, the city in 10 years, right? The Olympics and I think that's putting, anything it put you on the global map and Olympics would, but um, do you find that... Um, my attitude with people buying Brisbane was to buy something up there that new money would want, right? So people moving back from overseas, obviously, but also people had to escape Sydney and Melbourne, housing affordability. People didn't usually move there from Melbourne, actually, very patriotic, the Victorians, but that shifted in COVID. And, you know, like, so what would a Sydney family who can't afford in Sydney, what would they want in Brisbane, right? Because, and why would they move to Brisbane? Because of affordability. But, you know, I also thought that maybe a lot of people in the inner ring of Brisbane with flexibility would move, you know, the money would flow out to the Sunshine Coast and would flow out to the Gold Coast. Do you find that not many people are actually doing, I'd say that high income couple and family, even though COVID happened, even though you could work from home, um, the return to work in the office still keeps them around the inner city locations. They don't unless they're maybe running their own business or something, you know, a lot of the income's stuck there. They don't, even though they could commute from the Gold Coast, they don't do that. They still stay in the city. Yeah, I think it's a, um, it's important to highlight that whilst we talk about the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast being only an hour from Brisbane, that's, you know, on a Sunday at midday without traffic. <laughs> um, if you're commuting from the coastal regions um, into the capital city of Brisbane, um, the reality is during peak hour, it's a nightmare and the roads are congested. Yep. And we don't really have efficient public transport networks to get people quickly from the Gold Coast to Brisbane, nor from the Sunshine Coast to Brisbane. Yep. There's a train work network that services both regions. However, um, it's not yet a fast train. 
Now, Brisbane recently has um, announced that that we have won this city deal, which is meant to fast track uh, redevelopment throughout the uh, entire southeast Queensland um, region. And proposed with that city deal is fast train access from the Gold Coast to Brisbane and then all the way through to the Sunshine Coast. Now, we've not yet seen any finalisation of funding towards those projects. So yep. it's still an idea at this stage, but it's not yet planned and and confirmed. I think once we do have more efficient transportation systems through the infrastructure that's yet to come, um, we will see a change or a shift potentially to some more, some locations that that might be providing more of those lifestyle options that people love. And, and a lot of people do relocate to Brisbane for the lifestyle. We are a little bit more laid back, but obviously if people want that coastal lifestyle, yeah. they do need to move either to the Sunshine Coast or the Gold Coast because we're a river city. We're not a beach city in Brisbane. Um, and even Bayside locations in Brisbane, um, they're not the same as Bayside locations in the likes of Sydney and Melbourne. And I think a lot of people from down south don't realise the difference um, and they feel that just because something might be Bayside or, <laughs> you know, have Bay in its name, that it actually is a desirable location. It's not always the case and we're always very mindful of um, educating southerners around, you know, what makes a location desirable here in Brisbane. Uh. That's such a good point, actually. And we, we've had this conversation with Kent Lardner many times on the podcast when we've gone through various um, data and, and expose of, of various locations and some of the the places. Is there a Wentworth? Um, I'm trying to think of the, no. Okay. Try not to think of the names, Veronica, but you know, some of Wynnum, which is the W Bayside location, (laughs) (laughs) but there's been some of those Bayside locations that we've, we've discussed as being not great performers over time. And a lot of it is when you look at the type of buyer that might go there, might be attracted to it versus the locals. And once they get there, they discover why the locals aren't attracted to it. And I think this is a really good principle for anybody relocating, um, not to apply your your the thinking from where you come from to the thinking where you're going to. Um, what what are some of the things we're sort of slightly going slightly off piece here? But what are some of the the, the silly things? I mean, we're going to ask you for a Dumbo later, but I'm curious as to some of the mistakes that the people moving to Brisbane would make. Some obvious mistakes. I think the obvious mistakes, um, as you pointed out, is applying principles from Sydney and Melbourne or other capital city markets and assuming that they apply equally to Brisbane. It's simply not the case. Um, I think the biggest thing with Brisbane, um, well, there's probably two biggest things. One, we're built on a floodplain. So people must be aware that elevation in Brisbane is critical. And if you're not checking flood maps as a property buyer, then, you know, that's a big mistake. Um, The second thing is that uh, Brisbane is a young but rapidly growing city. So whilst Sydney and Melbourne have had a lot of their infill development already take place, Brisbane is still um, Mm. undergoing that gentrification phase. And there's a lot of locations that are zoned for redevelopment, but not yet redeveloped. So just because you're buying into a neighborhood doesn't guarantee that that neighborhood will look the same 10 years from now. You must understand the pockets where um, there's an there's an earmark or there's a plan for higher density development because you don't really want to be impacted by that in the future. I think that um, I mean the floodplains. I think everyone listening to this with Brisbane, they've heard of floods, they know about it. Some obviously still buy without looking at the maps. I'm sure, uh, like people buy without building a pest. The second point I think is absolutely a, a key one. I think as soon as I ask client, what's what's your properties? Where are they? Okay, they're in Brisbane. What is it? House, townhouse, apartments. As soon as they say house, a townhouse or apartment, I go, uh oh. 
Um, and that, that leads into that second point, right? Like it's literally, there's no cap on those things. And, you know, with townhouses across the middle rings of Brisbane, you know, you've got all those big 800 splitter blocks and they can build them for fun. Um, and I don't think there's ever really going to be a shortage of townhouses on any, you know, investment cycles. Look, in relation to townhouses, um, Brisbane City Council uh, recently, about four years ago, uh, proposed a change in the city plan. It was called uh, Brisbane's Future Blueprint, and it actually prevented a lot of land that was previously available um, to be developed into townhouses. It prevented the the change of use to be um, uh, constructed as townhouses. And what that's meant is anything within the Brisbane City Council region Um, it's become harder to actually build profitable townhouse developments. The other thing that changed with that that blueprint or that change in the city plan was that the requirement for an increased ratio of car parks to every development meant that developers couldn't feasibly build three townhouses on a 607 square metre block where previously they could. So because of that, we've actually seen a shortage or a shrinking in, in the supply of new townhouses within the Brisbane City Council region. Yep. It's not the same in other council regions, including yeah. Morton, Ipswich and Logan. Can we do a little bit of a map thing? You know, we're not visual here, but um, because Brisbane City Council is enormous, isn't it? It covers, oh. is it a, a nine different sort of areas or something? I mean, it's not like in Sydney where you've got a number of uh, you know, within a 10k radius of the Sydney CBD, of I don't know off the top of my head, but there's a number of different councils. Brisbane, you got one council that covers how many suburbs? What sort of? Oh, I'm sure you can do this on the top of your head. <laughs> Actually, it's a good question. I don't know the number of suburbs, but Brisbane City Council is the largest um, city council region across all of Australia. So geographically, it's the 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 largest in terms of the the square kilometres covered. But you can be in the Brisbane City Council region and still be 20 kilometres to the north of the CBD or 15, um, 17 kilometres south of the CBD. So it's a huge geographical mm. area. Then to the north of the Brisbane City Council region is the Moreton Bay region. Yeah. Um, now that actually covers everything from about Strathpine or Petrie all the way up to north of Caboolture. So again, a really large council region. Um, and in fact, one of the fastest growing regions in terms of population growth um, across all of Australia. To the west, we've got the Ipswich City yeah. Council region. Um, now that obviously captures a huge area and it's a development pipeline. And when we talk about growth areas, we're talking again about population growth. <laughs> There's a lot of new land um, subdivisions and, and new developments going on out in that, that pocket. And then the Logan region is from the south of Brisbane City Council um, all the way down to the top end of the Gold Coast. Um, again, a very high growth region and growth not being capital growth, growth being population growth yeah. and a lot of new land subdivisions happening there as well. And then Redlands is out to the east. So there's a development growth versus capital growth. And it's interesting how over the years you've said a lot of marketing from developers in particular, real estate agents talking about the growth corridors. And and I think that a lot of investors from southern states haven't necessarily realised the, the distinction between the two different types of growth. But but I think that Brisbane is quite unique in the size of its council. It's, it's certainly its inner, you know, Brisbane City Council. It's, it's very unique. And I think a lot of people probably don't realise that. And I think another thing that a lot of Southerners don't realise when they're buying there is that vendor disclosure, in particular, say in, in, in New South Wales and Victoria, is is relatively high. I still don't think it's enough, but hey, that's just because I'm a buyer's agent, you know. Um, it's relatively high in terms of what a vendor has to provide to a purchaser. Whereas in Queensland, when I was, um, you know, researching Home Buyer Academy, our course there with Megan Wells, 
I was absolutely blown away with the limited amount, almost nothing, that a vendor is required to provide to a buyer. And I don't understand how anybody, not only not not only interstate, you know, migrants, but a local, I don't understand how anybody buys up there without a buyer's agent. And I'm not trying to toot the buyer's agent trumpet here. This is purely because if nothing is disclosed and you don't know what you don't know, you haven't got the faintest clue of where to start looking to make sure you've covered off the due diligence you need when you're buying a property. So it's a, it's a fascinating market from that point of view. I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions. And you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au. And there you'll find resources for first home buyers, details about my buyer's agent mentoring program, access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or lower North Shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. And if you'd like a 30% discount plus free postage for my book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property, Even Though You're Scared Shitless, and yes, I'm a potty mouth, use the code ELEPHANT at the checkout. veronicamorgan.com.au If you're thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one, or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, we would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly, get the finance right. Please reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. It certainly is. And I think, you know, when we hear the media headlines that, you know, property prices are plummeting, we're down 10% and buyers assume that they can go into a purchase, assuming that the property market's plummeted, having no idea of the comparable sales of the uh, properties that we would typically be looking at to determine value or appraise a property. Um, it is one of the biggest frustrations for buyers here in Brisbane. It's one of the primary reasons that um, people would reach out to a buyer's agent in an auction campaign, there is no price guide given. The property yes. is listed on the real estate portals. There is no dollar amount listed. You, agents cannot give advice around um, value. So you are going in blind as a buyer. And unless you have an understanding of the most recent comparable sales, um, you're really throwing a dart you know, at a wall and hoping to, to hit a target. The other thing is that when it is a private treaty sale, it's very rare for an agent to list a price with the listing. Some buyers um, have worked out how to determine the filters that agents might use in the back end of some of the, the listing portals like realestate.com or domain. But I will say that that's not always an accurate yeah. indication of where the property's value is as well. And we've certainly seen some agents uh, list properties in in lower price filters to uh, generate more interest. A lot more buyers then turn up. They're hopeful buyers. Um, you know, they think that they've got a chance that might result in 10 registered bidders and it, hey, it makes a sales agent look fantastic when they can say to the vendor that they've got all of this interest. But the reality is the first bid knocks out 80% of those buyers because they don't really understand the true value based on comparable sales. But a tip for buyers, if they are shopping in, in Brisbane or, you know, in Queensland with the, the rules around, um, you know, buying property here, is to ask the sales agent to provide a list of comparable sales to you as a buyer so that you've actually got an understanding um, how they might be uh, positioning right. that property with their vendor um, because any good sales agent should be able to provide that list of comparable sales for you um, and that will help you to understand what they're looking at. But I will say also as another tip that not all 
relevant comparable sales will be on the sales agents yep. list either. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of those will be uh, those that have uh, done very well with recent sales and perhaps those that haven't achieved um, a price that is um, is as yeah. attractive. They won't be on that sales agents list. So Melinda, what are those things that Sydney Melbourne buyers potentially uh, overlook or maybe underweight a property around aspects? So, you know, when I'm chatting to a client in Melbourne, I sort of really bang home the importance of a good aspect, right? Winters are pretty cold down there and, you know, not getting any winter sun into the property and having a north rear or even a west rear or at least get some light in is really important. I'd say in Sydney, it's not as important. I mean, it's still definitely preferable. But in Brisbane, though, like, what's your sort of view on the aspect up there, you know, because it can get super hot and, you know, what what's your... Is it really that the property and what's around the property, you do a lot more thinking into that rather than typically just looking at the map and saying, right, that's a good aspect, let's move on? Aspect is really important for buyers to consider. Um, and the most desirable aspect in Brisbane is for your entertaining area to face the northeast. That's where we get our bayside breezes um, coming through the city. However, I will say that aspect to some extent is dependent on the um the, the mountains, the, the, topography. the hills, the topography mm. around you. So, you know, a lot of people um, really dislike a west orientation. Our hot western sun in the middle of summer um, is very unpleasant. You know, we like to live out on our decks in our alfresco areas, um, but you really can't be sitting out, you know, at four or five o'clock in the afternoon on a hot summer's day if you're sitting out in that westerly sun. So that's probably the least desirable location. However, facing... The west, um, if you're shaded by the mountains in areas such as Barden, where you are over in the, um, the you know the western suburbs, then you might not be impacted. So we don't always rule a property out uh, purely based on the orientation. It also depends on yeah. you know, any shading that comes from the surrounding areas. And what about the south facing? Yeah, but so shading can be a total killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's see. It can be too. And south facing, look, um, south facing when you're on the north side of Brisbane is quite a desirable orientation if you're going to actually pick up some of the city views that come with that that orientation. Mm. So, um, look, south facing is not undesirable. Um, it's definitely cooler in winter um, and warmer in summer. But south facing, as long as you're protecting the west, is actually not too bad. North south facing is actually the most desirable orientation. One of the things around the quoting, just to go back to that for a moment, I always find it fascinating when I look to some of the, the legislation in Queensland around property and we've had, so A, that, you know, just a blanket ban, it's legislated, agents cannot give price guides. Does that really help buyers? You could argue yes, you could argue no, right? I sort of argue no. Um, on the other, another thing at the beginning of COVID, so when, you know, lockdowns and then there was that legislation that was really quite, um, putative towards landlords. And so there was an industry uprising to get that quashed, right? Get that changed. Then more recently, there was legislation around land tax for investors and a lot of pressure there to be changed as well. Also, you know, there was some publicity around the state government, uh, Queensland state government held a, um, like a round table or, or a forum on the property industry, on the property market, and key players were not brought to the table, even though there's a, there is, it's a well publicized rental shortage. There weren't, there weren't, um, representatives from, you know, groups representing, uh, property investors, for example. Now it seems to be that the, the government is a little deaf 
when it comes to the property industry? They they do they totally disregard what we have to say, and that it's only when they get sufficient pressure that they they will listen. Um, what I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> Look, without getting political, um, it, it's actually it's been a tough couple of years, um, especially for property investors here in Queensland and. Um, you know, we know based on the most recent survey completed by Pippa Property Investment Professionals of Australia that about 30% of investors have, less, have left the Queensland market in the last two years. And of course, that's contributed to the current su- supply shortage that, and the current rental crisis. Uh. And perhaps with the, the Queensland government, I know that the proposal um, that they put forward and in fact legislated in relation to the land tax changes mm. um, is something that almost slipped through mm. the back door. Um, and once it became known, like pe- it was legislated for more than six months be- before the media really got hold of it. Wow. Um, <laughs> and it was only after the, the industry voice actually stood up to oppose it and really outlined what the consequences would be yep. um, to the the tenant and the mum and dad that, that need somewhere to live. Um, a lot of people assume that landlords are very greedy and that they'll just put their rents up um, to cover the increased cost. The reality is that rents are not actually driven by the costs of um, the investor that owns the property. Rents are driven by supply and demand. And when you've got a shrinking supply of available rental properties in a given market, um, as evidenced by a number of property investors leaving the market and a lot of those home buyers entering the market throughout the last couple of years during the boom that we've had, it's just resulted in fewer properties available for rent. At the same time, we've talked about this huge influx of migrants coming from both interstate and overseas, as well as locals um, just looking to to move and relocate. There's a lot of people looking for rental properties, and yeah. that is what is pushing rents up in Brisbane. But wasn't the theory around the land tax not so much to help with rents, but to actually to supposedly help first home buyers and say, well, look, all those evil investors are taking properties from the hands of first home buyers. And it's naive in the, ex- in the extreme from where I'm sitting. As yeah. much as I want to help first home buyers, that's not the solution. Well, it's the same it's thing as when, not the solution um, and- yeah, when the uh, Australian government changed the rules around expats, they said, look, if you don't sell your property by this date, you're going to pay CGT from the moment you purchased it. So like, you know, mm. someone was- Bought a property in the 90s or early 2000s. They moved to London. It's been a rental property here for the rental market, right? Which is great. They haven't sold it um, because they may move back to Australia and it's a property for them or it's just a... And then all of a sudden, if you don't sell it by this date, then you have to pay capital gains tax on that. Even though you might have lived in it for 15 years before you went, um, it was a crazy policy, but it went through. Um, and COVID stopped a lot of people selling those properties because of the date. I think it finished it you know, in June 2020. Um but then we've got lots of clients who are expats who are overseas. They've got properties, and we've got to look at their capital gains tax. Like, and we're like, that's one hundred and fifty, or that's two fifty grand of capital gains tax because it's at a top marginal rate and no discounts. And since they purchased it, so the irony was that policy was there to support the property market by giving more listings for, for you know <laughs> people living locally to buy. But what it's done is it's forced people who have got properties um, and are living overseas to not sell. And it, so it did the opposite of what well, the policy was trying to do um, because a lot of people couldn't get their property ready for sale in that period. And then they just went, oh, yeah. well, I'm not going to sell it now. Um, so if anything, it's restricted supply. So the irony of government policy, it's, um, yeah, it, it happens. What, what the, the effects can be you know, really long lasting because a lot of these expats now are not listing their properties or they're coming home to sell and then they're, they're holding off. 
Absolutely. I think any retrospective policy brought in by any government, um, you know, it, it's not necessarily always well thought mm. out. Um, and without industry consultation, you yeah. know, let's face it, um, when we're in the industry, we really understand what drives property markets. Um, however, anyone that doesn't understand those fundamental dynamics of, you know, supply and demand uh, may assume that, you know, small policy changes don't have big impacts. Um, and, you know, yes, the housing summit was held in October here in Queensland and, and some of the key stakeholders weren't brought to the table. But um, uh, clearly the land tax has been um, withdrawn. It's no longer going to be legislated. So thankfully, uh, we're not going to see that that impact. And of course, it was brought in to penalise all of those very greedy interstate investors, mm. according to the Queensland government, um, who are very wealthy and own property outside of Queensland. But the reality is it wasn't a very well thought out tax at all. Well, just on that too, because really, you know, I'm obviously based in Sydney and, and certainly it seemed to me over the past decade or so that the type of investor that goes to Brisbane to invest in Brisbane is chasing affordability. And so therefore they're not necessarily the big fat cats that you might you might expect them to be. And and I think that's, you know, one of the I guess one of the 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 tail the sting in the tail for a lot of those investors that have actually they've got their affordable two bedroom unit for the price of a one bedroom unit in Sydney for argument's sake, but did they get any capital growth out of that? And so that you know, there's been a lot of development that has been targeted directly at those interstate investors and they haven't necessarily done that well out of them you know in terms of capital growth and, and look at I remember times when we were filming up actually up there and there were big billboards offering three months rent yeah. free and a free iPad to tenants so it's not like the rentals um, were really strong for all that time either so are you seeing how are you seeing that sort of investment side of the market and is there any let up in the unit I mean we talked about the the potential for ongoing development in the unit space you know, how is that looking? Yeah, look, we had um, a significant change in our city plan in the Brisbane City Council region in 2014, and that resulted in a lot of previously um, industrial zone land being um, earmarked for high density development. Now, by 2016, we had that many cranes in the skyline of city uh, of Brisbane City, and we had a huge influx of developers that built high density inner city units, um, and they were specifically targeting the investor market. So at that time, um, overseas investment was easy. Um, you know, we had a lot of interstate investors, as you pointed out, people just looking to, to get an affordable piece of Brisbane. But the fundamentals at that time were, were really bad because there was an oversupply um, and there, was, there weren't enough buyers to absorb um, the, the amount of property that was actually being developed. So as a result of that, we saw price falls. A lot of people that had bought off the plan, um, you know, they couldn't even settle. The property was worth less than, um, at the time of completion than, than when that originally purchased. But also, we also um, saw rents decrease. And that not only impacted that inner city unit market, but the surrounding housing market. Because again, for renters, they'll look at, you know, I've got $400 per week to spend on rent. Um, do I want to live in an, an old house that might be three kilometres from the CBD, a little bit run down for that price perhaps, or do I want to go and get my rental incentive from the developer where I get six months rent free um, and then I've got a further 18 months locked in at this price? And that's what we were seeing. So vacancy rates actually spiked between 2016 um, and, and for a number of years after that. And also rents declined in both the unit market and the housing market. Now, um, off the back of a number of different changes, um, 
you know, we've seen the development pipeline really dry up. So whilst I've mentioned there's a lot of land that's currently available that's yet to be developed, the reality is those developments at the moment in Brisbane are not feasible. So we've had a lot of um, increasing costs for developers. Obviously, interest rates are going up, so holding costs are increasing. Construction costs are going up. So, yeah. you know, the overall feasibility... Um, is slimming. And then, of course, when you've got market sentiment that's falling because buyers are less confident, it's very hard to get those off-the-plan sales. So therefore, developers actually can't get projects out of the ground. So we've got developments that may be approved, um, but not, you know, unable to be commenced. And as a result, you know, in the foreseeable future, we don't actually have a lot of supply that's going to be coming. Um, It's important, though, for buyers to understand that at some stage, the tap will be turned back on. Um, and therefore understanding where those pockets of supply are um, is critical. It's not going to impact the whole market in the same way, but it will impact those locations um, that are close by. So that's where, you know, an understanding of those those future pockets of supply is really critical. I think we've seen a lot of investors um, come to us you know, pre the sort of stabilization in prices in the last couple of years. And they know they bought a bit of a dud. You know, they know they shouldn't have bought an apartment in Brisbane, for example, but they got sold the off-the-plan dream by somebody. And um, like Veronica was saying, they went for affordability. It was, you know, servicing itself, positive cash flow, all the... But they've seen that it's had no growth and they've seen what's happened in the Sydney-Melbourne market where they, you know, potentially they just upgraded their home and they've, you know, that that pain. As soon as prices recovered, a lot of them have taken their money and um, and it probably sold to first-time buyers up there, you know, not other investors, you know, like... Um, and that's made created more rental issues because it's less properties for rent. But we also saw this, there's a, uh, I'm not saying this is your business at all, Melinda, but there's some buyers agencies out there, um, that really, uh, proliferate this quantity strategy, right? And they do it up in Southeast Queensland. So they do it in, um, and we don't work with any of these businesses, but we see the clients after they've been to them for a number of years and they come to us and their portfolio is a mess, right? And um, you know, they've got play properties in, uh, Red Bank Plains and, uh, up near sort of, um, starts with K up near in the Morton Bay, Kalinga, uh, and Logan. Kalinga. Uh, yeah. And so, and they've got five of them. Um, and what's surprising in COVID, they, they went through the roof. Like they didn't go up anywhere near as much as, um, you know, the inner rings, you know, the Balmorals and the Bardens, et cetera. They all went up like 70, 80, hundred percent. Right. But. These areas went up, you know, a good 50, 60%, you know, they went from three, 400 to, to 600. Um, and a lot of the investors are sort of in those markets, there's already a lot of investors. And uh, my worry is in those markets, have you seen any signs that there's a investors running away, but the, the home buyers, the affordability market that generally were buying those under 2% interest rates are saying, well, I can't afford that under 6% or 5% interest rates. Plus, you're getting more investors running for the hills trying to take their money. So even though you're seeing low listings across Brisbane, in these sort of investor hotspots where you've got investors running for the hills just because they're trying to take their money off the table, they know they're not great long-term assets now. They've switched on. Uh, and the people who would have been, who ultimately are their buyers, young first-time uh, families, can't afford those properties under higher prices and higher rates. Have you have you seen any kind of decent declines or is it is it still low listings in those areas from what you know? It's a good question. And I think we can only look at median value trends to get an understanding of what's happening in certain segments of the market. Um, But that said, you know, when we talk about the top end of the market, we've already talked about those blue chip locations. They're really not seeing price falls because there's still strong demand. 
when you're looking at locations where the demographic group are predominantly maybe low-income earners, um, and you're right, there's an affordability cap in terms of what they can afford to pay to buy a property, but there's also an affordability cap in terms of what they can afford to rent a property. Uh, So a lot of these locations that you've referenced uh, may be you know, locations where you've got 60 or 70% of the demographic group are actually property investors. Now, yep. in my opinion, that those locations are high risk locations yep. because in a boom market, of course, you're going to see high growth and, and you know, strong upside across all of um, property markets. The, the concern is that there's a lot of people that are um, leveraging a marketing message off the back of what's happened in the last two years. <laughs> what's happened in the last two years is abnormal. That's not normal. Um, and you know, when I see high growth, high yield or high growth, high income properties, I think, well, for which one year period or for which two year Uh, period are you talking about? When we're looking at suburbs, um, and locations for our clients, especially our investor clients, it's important for them to understand what's happened in the last 20 years across those locations in terms of growth or the last 10 years, not just the last two years, because that tells a story of, you know, the long-term trends in a particular location. And what you'll find is there's very little correlation between the two-year growth and the 10 or 20-year growth in some of the locations that you're referencing. So I think it's absolutely critical for for buyers to to keep their blinkers on and and really ask questions if you're getting this advice, you know, you know, understand, well, one, who's giving the advice? Um, two, have they been in the market over multiple property cycles or are they just referencing the the one and only property cycle over the yeah. last 10 years where interest rates did nothing but decrease. Because I think when you're assessing property over um, multiple property cycles and considering what happens in different interest rate environments, you're really looking at um, different pressures for different population groups. Um, and I can guarantee you what's happening in terms of the buyer demand in locations where there's high income groups versus locations where there's low income groups it's very different yeah. across areas of Brisbane. What you're talking yeah. about there, the number of things popped into my mind. <laughs> One is the aspirational markets. And so, you know, in the higher income areas, that is where people aspire to be. So you've always got a queue of people that, we, you know, if they can get to the point where they can afford it. Uh, and that might be if there's a price fall, for argument's sake, or a perceived price fall, they think that's great. Now I can afford to buy there. So you've got that. The other thing too is the scarcity thing. So a lot of those growth corridors where the 60, 70% of uh, investor held, there's not a huge scarcity of stock. It's, you know, house and land packages or all those dual key entry townhouses, all that sort of stuff. Um, but then there's that, you know, the the type of buyer's agent, the type of spruker, and they're all out there that are going on one or two years of data. And I love that. It's like, yep, everything's gone up, you idiots. But do they compare how much that went up to something else. There's no relativity or benchmarking that goes on. And I 100% agree with you. I've been spending a little bit of time in YouTube uh, lately. It's a scary world there with all these people that um, are very clever, very slick, very articulate and smart. And what they're doing, they're sort of creating an audience, they're generating an audience for their clever videos, all the rest of it. And then they're selling this dream. And I'm like, this is the same shit that we saw back in in 2010, 2012, 15, you know, yep. say, it was slightly different shovel because back then it was around mining towns, you know, uh-huh. but all the people that basically piled in with this false logic with a bunch of experts that really were only talking about one cyclone and, and really poor fundamentals when it comes to investing. 
And I'm seeing a whole new generation. It's this very similar message, yeah. slightly different location. And I'm horrified, actually. And and big part of that is this focus on very, very recent data. Yeah. Mm. And I think also the focus on the fact that a lot of these investors have purchased these types of properties in the lowest interest rate environment on record. Yeah. And the scary thing is how will these properties perform as interest rate rates stabilize or continue to increase over time? Because a lot of the sell was buy-in for high yields, high cash flows. Well, of course, with rising interest rates, those cash flows, um, you know, get, mm. get dried up because mm. of the increasing costs of holding. Now, if you're not going to get those high incomes and now you're not getting growth, or in, in fact, you might actually get a reduction or a decline in the value, then you're left with negative equity and holding costs, which is never a good position to be in. And I think it comes down to understanding, you know, when you, when you are buying a property, understanding the purpose behind the purchase, are you looking for income now or are you looking for long-term wealth creation? And there is a difference and it comes down to what you need as an individual based on your personal circumstances. And it's never a one-size-fits-all yep. approach. So if you're working with someone that only sells a strategy, then you're working with the wrong person because you really need to be um, talking to people that can help you understand uh, based on your circumstances, what approach is, is right for you based on what you're trying to achieve. And it's never, ever a one size fits all in property. That's exactly the point here. That's why we go nowhere near these type of buyers agents as well, is that no matter what that income that person's earning, no matter how much equity they've got, no matter what their plans are with their life, et cetera, their strategy is just to buy as many as possible. Right. And so, you know, the person Quantity who could, over quality. the person who could buy you know, t uh, two or $3 million of properties end up just buying seven of their properties, right? Not just the person who's buying one. It's just literally just rinse and repeat. And it's easy to buy in these markets um, for them as buyers agents. So they can clock up a lots of transactions because they're not competing with lots of high income family buyers and very lack of scarcity, um, et cetera. So it's a really big point. Can we finish with a property Dumbo, Melinda? I'm sure you've got one for us. Um, yeah. What have you got? Yes. Look, when I um, was managing a small development a number of years ago, um, I had to approach a neighbour over a dividing fence. Um, and this was a, a young couple with a, a new baby that had just purchased their dream home. Um, so I knocked on their door and I explained who I was um, and we were about to commence a redevelopment on the site next door. Uh, so I was talking to her about what we were planning and the fact that we had a, a fence that needed to be um, reconstructed. And she actually got very upset and, and said to me, I had no idea that you were about to build three townhouses. I had no idea that people were going to be looking into my yard. This is, this is my dream home. And so my Dumbo is, you know, you really need to understand the neighborhood, not just the house. And you really need to understand what the neighborhood will look like in the future. Because if you are buying a dream home, you don't want to be negatively impacted by development that may be about to commence around you. Oh. It's a very good Dumbo. It's very I'm, easy to sort out too, even in Brisbane. Like the, the Brisbane City Council website has some in, incredible wealth of information for property buyers and you can find this stuff out. The sad thing is most people don't know what they don't know. Uh, I think it's just so important to just spend a lot of time around your property, you know, like you know, either you can rock up on a busy Saturday, right? And you get in and out of the property, you fall in love with the property and you, you don't really spend the time looking at the neighbors and the ones behind and they're too long from your neighbors and what's happening over there and what's up, you know, especially a lot of people are out of area buyers. Not everyone's buying the suburb oh, they've always no. lived in. Like 
you know, you're for, because you live where you want to live and then all of a sudden your budget forces you to go explore new areas and people haven't got the ability of time to FOMO kicks in. I'm not going to go rent there for a year, right? And so a lot of people are taking a leap of faith in new suburbs and don't know what the locals in that suburb knows. Um, and yeah, I just think it's so key, right? Like that's an older house. It probably at some point needs to get knocked down. How long have they been living there? 30 years. Okay, well, it's a risk, <laughs> right? It's a risk that, you know, when they pass on or go to aged care home or something like that, a young family's going to come in and demolish. And is it, would, would they build townhouses? Well, maybe it's feasible for that. Would we be okay well, with that? So I think a lot of people don't have that thinking of what's going to change around them. Um, we had a client literally tried to buy a property yesterday. We stopped them. Um, they said, yeah, well, we're going to make an offer on this place. And, do, you, do you mind providing the address? And we looked at it and literally straight away, I was like, that's a deal breaker. It's backing on to, not on the main road, but they're one street away. And their property is kind of industrial over the back fence. And then four oh, right. doors up, there's like a five um, level apartment block. Um, so I'm like, have we just gone, and I can see it on street view, just go on street view and I screenshotted it. <laughs> that could be overlooking your back fence in a couple of years time. And they're like, oh, we didn't think of that. Um, and so thinking about your exit strategy, who's going to buy the property if you have to sell yeah. and then, you know, taking that defensive position, I think it's absolutely critical. Yeah. And if you're not going to have a property that appeals to the largest segment of the market, then I'd be questioning, you know, the, the the motivation behind the purchase. Yeah. That's a fundamental of capital growth, that one. Awesome. That's such <laughs> a good chat, Melinda. Great chat. And um, it'd be awesome to have a chat maybe in a year or two, because I think that the, what you point around those properties, I think they're the ones who are really going to struggle. If rates stay high, we start getting people can't refinance because of lower borrowing capacities. People are coming off fixed rates. And, you know, a lot of these investors mm -hmm. fixed. Um, a lot of people can't extend interest only terms. Um, That's and it their cash flow gets tight, then rents aren't going up or you start to see a, um, you know, cause a lot of investors have to bail. And then there's a, like, a, if that is a perfect storm. I'm not saying it's oh. going to happen, but you know, if rates stay high and things play out over the next few years, it could happen. So, um, we'll wait and, and see. The issue is that median data trend might show something different to, you know, greater Brisbane. This is happening here, but this is happening yeah. here. And that's why I just really dislike median data and, and and how much fear that can create in a market because media can swing a market one way or another awesome. and um, you know what we're seeing here is very different to what we might be seeing over here so it's just a you know we're all about sharing facts and information not not generating fear yeah. bring it awesome. on thanks Melinda talk soon thank you if you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.